0: Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time that we're able to come and study together. Lord, we ask for your presence. We ask for your leading. May you please guide and lead us with your Holy Spirit and help us to understand the words that we're about to study. May you please send your Holy Spirit to to guide us and to teach us and to convict us of the truths that we need to learn, especially for our own personal lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our title of the study today is Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. Now, we normally call this encounter such, um, but we only read about that word ruler in Luke 18 18. Um, there, there are three places in the Gospels that it's found Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not found in John, but It's only in Luke that we see that it's a ruler that comes to Jesus to talk to him. Uh, We're not going to go and spend our time in Luke today. We're actually going to be focusing our time in Matthew and Mark. And so with that, let's go to our first Bible text found in Matthew 19 and verse 16. The Bible says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So this rich young ruler, he pays great respect to Christ. He calls him good master, is a teacher. He probably is one step short of calling him rabbi, but he recognizes Jesus' authority. He recognizes that he is a good man and a good teacher, someone worthy to be followed, and so he comes to him and asks him this very interesting question. He says, what? What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life, that I can inherit eternal life? It's as if he wants to do something. You know, the rich tend to be that way. They're successful because of something that they did. And so he's like asking Christ, what can I do? He, it's as if he wants to work his way to heaven. But how does Jesus reply? Look at this. Matthew chapter 19, 17 to 19. And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? And Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, it's so interesting. Jesus says, if you really want to do something, keep the commandments. Now, we know that that's impossible. There's none good, no, not one. It's impossible to keep the Ten Commandments. And it's not Jesus making this requirement. Remember, it's the rich young ruler asking, hey, I want to do something. What can I do to inherit eternal life? So if you want to do something, keep the Ten Commandments. And it's not Jesus spelling it out to him, but he's like, okay, which one do you want me to keep, Jesus? And that's why Christ lists it out but jesus he shows great regard for his law he does but you know what i want to look at what jesus quotes here because in actual fact he doesn't quote all 10 of the commandments there he only firstly what we see here is he only quotes the last six Okay, he doesn't quote the first four commandments in relation to our love and loyalty to God. He only quotes the last six in how we treat each other in love to our neighbor. And maybe the rich young ruler, with Jesus leaving out these first four commandments, maybe the rich young ruler does not love God as much as he thinks he does. But you know, the second observation that we can make here in Jesus quoting the Ten Commandments, we actually have to go to the book of Mark. Okay, it's in Mark that the parallel passage that we see, and notice this, Mark chapter 10 verse 19, he's quoting the commandments to the rich young ruler and he says, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. Jesus, in this passage, we don't see it in Matthew, but in this passage, he actually quotes one commandment that we actually don't see spelled out in the Ten Commandments found in Exodus or even in Deuteronomy, which is defraud not. Did you see that defraud not what does it mean to defraud not it means to keep back by deception fraud it's like when you commit fraud it's like you're printing money right you're trying to deceive somebody thinking that this is real money that can actually be used when it shouldn't be so that that's what fraud is and and jesus says defraud not don't keep something back that you are holding on to by deception. Has the rich young ruler possibly been defrauding? And when you look in the concordance, the word defraud also means to steal. So it seems like he's emphasizing stealing because he already says, and I'm not sure if you noticed this, let's go back. In Mark 10, 19, he already says, do not steal. Do you see that? Do not bear false witness. And then he says, defraud not. Almost as if emphasizing, hey, rich young ruler, you are stealing. Maybe the riches that he obtained was not obtained honestly. Maybe he was defrauding somebody. Maybe he was stealing from somebody. And so Jesus repeats this twice in different way, but it seems to emphasize that he's been stealing. The third observation that I would like to make is that Jesus leaves one of the six commandments out. And you see this in Matthew and also in Mark. Okay. Do you know which commandment is left out of the six in relation to how we treat our neighbor? It is the last commandment. Thou shalt not um, be covetous. Okay. So maybe... Jesus is dealing with the covetousness of this rich young ruler, and we're going to come back to this one later, okay? But Jesus intentionally quotes the six, but leaves out the tenth one, the last one of the six, which has to do with covetousness. And we're going to come back to this. But how does the rich young ruler respond? When Jesus says, well, if you want to be good, if you want to get to heaven, you keep the commandments and here's the ones that you should keep. How does the rich young ruler actually respond? Matthew 19 and verse 20. The Bible says, and the young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? What a confident young man he is. What a confident reply. All these things I've kept from my youth. For sure today, if this man was alive, he would be a Christian. Because he has no problem with keeping the Ten Commandments. But he says, I've kept all these things since I was young. What else do I fall short of? He's grown up in church all his life. And look friends, it is possible to grow up in church all your life and still be lost. This man, surely, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that I doubt him. Surely he wasn't dishonoring his parents. Surely he hadn't killed somebody, right? Surely he hadn't committed adultery. Surely he hadn't been lying and all of these things, right? Maybe the last few ones are a bit questionable. But he confidently said, Jesus, I've kept all these things from my youth. What else? Do I lack? Look, this young man must have known there was something wrong, or else he wouldn't have come to Christ in the first place, right? He needed some sort of, what, confirmation that he was on the right path? Or maybe he realized that there was something wrong. But nonetheless, he's come to Christ, and Jesus has recognized the issue, and by Quoting the ten Commandments and really one of them being left out, he's highlighting this issue. How does Jesus reply mark ten twenty one we're now in Mark Then Jesus beholding him loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest: go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast.' and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven come take up the cross and follow me what does Jesus do he asks him to sell everything this is the solution when the rich young ruler says what else do I lack Jesus says you still lack one thing go and sell everything give it to the poor Take up your cross and follow me, and you will have your eternal life in heaven. You will have your name written in the books of heaven. And maybe, just maybe, the possessions in his life were his God. And that's why Jesus left out the first four commandments. Maybe, just maybe, he was so covetous of his possessions that he couldn't let it go. He couldn't. And maybe, just maybe, he had obtained all these riches by stealing and defrauding other people. There were just so many angles from which we could look at this, but yet Jesus sees to the very core of his heart. It is his riches after all that is stopping him from entering into heaven. You know, friends, how does this rich young ruler respond? he says in mark chapter 10 verse 22 and he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions you know friends sometimes the more you have the harder it is to part with you know riches has this way of sticking to us and clinging to us you would think that a rich man or a rich woman when when they have so much it would be easier to give even more right but sometimes it's not you see the riches it's not about how much you have because when you get to the certain pay grade then you upgrade upgrade the car upgrade the house upgrade my clothes upgrade all my possessions upgrade the laptop upgrade the phone upgrade the bed upgrade just everything you know sometimes it's not the richer we have, the more inclined we are to give away. It's we set our sights on the next status level, isn't it? And we upgrade at the expense of what? Giving back to God. And, you know, it's not just the rich people that have this issue. Don't don't think that I'm just attacking the, the rich people. This rich young ruler went away grieved because he had many possessions, but sometimes the poor man, all he has is one possession, and he looks at that one possession as the rich man looks at his thousand possessions. Do you see that? The issue really is not the issue of how much we own, but really how we look at it from our heart's perspective. But this rich young ruler went away grieved because he had a lot. The possessions that he owned stuck him to this world and and, and made him lose sight of eternal things. Maybe he worked really hard for these possessions. Maybe he grew up in a poor family and didn't have such privileges. And so he was now enjoying his life. But friends... He went away grieved because his heart was stuck to his possessions and he could not let it go. It was covetousness that was stopping him from selling all his possessions. It was the commandment that Jesus left out. What I'm trying to show you here is that Jesus is trying to redefine in some sense what we typically think covetousness is. You know, what is covetousness to us? Well, actually, I find that many people don't understand covetousness. But how do we know we are covetous or not? I mean, if, if a person buys a BMW and I like the BMW and I go out and buy the same exact model and color and everything. Am I being covetous? No. If, if my friend has a house and I like his house and I go by the exact same neighborhood on the same street and the same design, am I being, covetousness, uh, being covetous? No. How do we know we're being covetous then? Of course, look, opposite to covetousness is what? Contentment, right? But how do we know that we are being covetous? You see, the, the key is found in when you look at the ten, the tenth commandment. It says, "Don't covet your neighbor's goods or your the house or anything." But it also says, "Don't covet your neighbor's wife." You can't you can't look at your neighbor and say, "I like his wife" and go get exactly the same wife because there's no such thing, right? You have to get that person's wife and the only way to get that person's wife is you either kill the man for it or you kill and commit adultery right that's what happened with King David with Bathsheba he killed his her her husband Uriah the Hittite and so when, when we look at covetousness it always results in the breaking of one of the other of the Ten Commandments you go kill the person for it, you you steal his car, or you go and rob a bank and you steal the money and go buy it. We, we break other commandments in our quest to get that other person's possessions or the similar product or thing. That is covetousness. But here, Jesus is redefining covetousness for us. It's not just breaking of the other Ten Commandments to to obtain that. But in this sense, what? Not willing to sell all that you have to come and follow me. This man, he was just stuck to his possessions so much that he was not willing to sacrifice it to follow Jesus. And that is sometimes an issue, friends. The more we have, the harder it is to get rid of it. We'll think, oh, I don't know when I might need it, so I'll keep it just in case. But friends, are you willing to give to those that are in need? The poor. You see, that is what Jesus was telling him to do. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me and you will have riches in heaven. This man, he was sad. He was grieved. He wasn't having godly sorrow. He was sad at the thought of being poor. He wanted heaven and he wanted earth at the same time. Does it mean that we have to be poor to go to heaven? Not exactly. Look in the Old Testament. There's Abraham. There's King David. There's King Solomon. Look at Job. These men were rich, but they were so faithful to God as well. They never allowed their riches to turn their hearts away from God. To some extent Solomon did, but it was more his wives. It wasn't because of his riches. But look, there are faithful men and women in the church today, I believe, that are rich, but maybe we are self-deceived. I don't know. You know, we always like to look at these people in the Old Testament, but you know, I, I try to think of someone in the New Testament that 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 was rich and that would have made it to heaven. I, I can't think of anybody. Honestly. I mean, uh, Nicodemus was a rich man, but he ended up giving up all his wealth to support the early church. He was a great supporter of the people after Jesus Christ died, and he quickly became a poor man. Zacchaeus was a rich man, and and whatever he had defrauded from people, he gave it it back to them and restored them fourfold, and the rest he sold. He became a poor man. I don't know. I'm not in the position to judge because I'm not a rich man, friends. But... What does Jesus say after this rich young ruler departs? Let's continue, shall we? Mark chapter 10, 23 to 25. And Jesus looked round about. So the rich young ruler had left already. And Jesus looks round about and says to his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is, is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Friends, what is the problem? What does the Bible highlight here? What did Jesus say? The problem was that there are many that trust in their riches. They trust in their riches. They they rely on their riches more than they rely on God. It's almost as if they can buy heaven. What does it mean to to trust in your riches? Well, let's go to another text in Psalms. Psalms 49 verses six through eight. Look what the Bible says here. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. This is not just redeeming a person that was kidnapped, but a ransom to God, trying to save a person. For the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceaseth forever what is the problem with the rich man's thinking they think that uh, my riches can warrant me entrance into heaven as if i've done something good something nice something kind it's as if they are trying to buy their way into heaven to work their way to gain eternal life and that's why this rich man he said he came to jesus what good thing could i do that i might inherit eternal life, as if I deserve it, that I may be able to get into heaven, to be able to work my way there. But Jesus says quite the contrary, you have to sell everything. Look, Jesus, he's dealing with this issue of covetousness. And the difference between the 10th commandment and the other five commandments that we see, which relate to our neighbor, you know, honoring your parents, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. The difference between the 10th commandments and the other five is that the one dealing with covetousness is in a heart. The other five, you can see it. You can see it. You can see whether a person honors their parents or not. You can see whether a person kills or not or commits adultery or not well they get caught you can't see it in the act right you you can see whether a person is stealing or lying but when it comes to covetousness the difficulty with this commandment is that it's in the heart it's more deceptive and you can't just go out there and condemn every rich person this is not what i'm trying to do okay i'm not trying to say that it's bad To be rich that's not my point but what i am trying to say here is that we have to be so careful as you're sitting here this evening listening to the sermon here don't think oh i'm okay i'm poor i don't have much to keep me attached to this world well it might be your car you might not have a lot but it just might be one thing you see jesus said one thing you lack one thing and yes he had to go and sell a lot of things but there was just one possession maybe to you this evening that is keeping you attached to this world really I've seen people get so attached to their laptops so attached to their cameras so attached to their cars you know look I'm not not saying don't take care of it but let's not treat it as if it's the most important thing in the world, okay? But it's possible that a poor man could have the same mentality as a rich man today as well. But look, Jesus might be saying to you today, there's one thing you lack. And maybe you have to go and sell everything. Because it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. The Bible text is clear there. It is impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. It can't even stick its tongue through the eye of a needle. It is absolutely impossible. And so... Look at this. Look at how the disciples respond in Mark chapter 10, verses 26 to 27. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible these disciples they were astonished they were shocked they probably were so happy to see this rich young ruler coming to jesus like oh yes they're ready to make him part of the disciple group this is the one that's going to bankroll all our activities he's going to support us we don't need to worry about money anymore everyone's going to come want to follow jesus now you see and they must have been so disappointed when they saw how jesus spoke to him and turned him away it wasn't the first time Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and he eventually left as well and didn't follow Jesus until Jesus died and resurrected, you see. So they were shocked. Who then can be saved? I mean, if this rich young ruler couldn't be saved, I mean, maybe out of all people, he must have looked like he was in a saving relationship with Jesus because our mentality, even back then, just as it is today, the mentality must have been what? God must have blessed this man. God, in order for you to bless this man, he must have been faithful. And so we equate riches and being rich with what? Faithfulness. But it's not always the case, isn't it? Jesus still said what? One thing thou lackest. There was still one thing that he was still falling short of. And you know, it's very interesting it's very interesting how Jesus says this though, because he says what? If you go back to the text there, he says, with men, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And look, I want to give a different spin on this text this evening. You know, sometimes we use that Bible text, all things are possible with God, then we can do anything, but in its context, what is jesus saying all things are possible with god it's possible for a rich man to be saved and maybe you're waiting for me to give you hope right you're the rich man a woman sitting there listening here this evening and you're thinking ah oh, okay here it is what's the punchline? what is it ben how can god help me to be saved today as a rich man or a rich woman and god says what you got to sell everything you got to sell everything Because this rich young ruler made his riches above God. He made his riches his God. And maybe today, the reason why you're not willing to sell something is because that thing is so precious to you, it's above God. Maybe it's your phone, maybe it's your relationship, maybe it's your job. There is something that you may have to sacrifice today and God, Jesus is telling you, you gotta get rid of it. You gotta sell it and not just sell it to gain a bit of profit, but you give that money to the poor. What is it? But how how can a rich man be saved then, Ben? You're trying to give me hope and then destroy at the same time. Well, that's the thing. That's Jesus' solution for a rich man or a rich woman to be saved which is to sell everything and what God needs to do is not to make us poor but to change our hearts that we're willing to sacrifice and give it up do you see that covetousness is in here it's within our heart within our thinking it's so hard to detect it's so deceptive and God says the only way that I can deal with this is to see whether your loyalty lies with me, whether you are really willing to sacrifice and give up your most cherished and prized possession. Do you see that? Some of us, we make our girlfriend or boyfriend higher than God. Not even married yet. And uh, the, the person is sick, and you don't go to church because of them as well. You just stay home and take care of them, even though they just got a slight fever. I mean, look, I understand emergency situations, but, you know, it gets to this point. Even as a pastor, when my spouse is sick, I have a responsibility to the church. God is more important. Are you willing to go? Do you see that, friends? I'm not saying you leave them behind and, and, you know, sell them, sacrifice them, get rid of them. No. But through our daily actions, we show what is more important. Some of us, we make our children our God. We make them above God. Do you see that? What is it that God is trying to tell you today that there's one thing you still lack? One thing. What is it? The heart is deceptive above all things. If you pray, God will show it to you. And it's not for me to, to say what it is because there are just a million things that we get attached to. A, a little child can get so attached to a teddy bear. Who knows? You say, oh, well, I'll just replace this teddy bear. For... It's just not the same teddy bear. A person can, can get attached to two sticks, right? What is it in your life that you, you really treasure so much that you put it above God? And sometimes it's our responsibility as a husband and as a father. But no, 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 no. Our responsibility to God is still first. So that when you come to this point, should I I work on the Sabbath to provide for my family or just go to church? From the worldly perspective, guess what? It looks irresponsible. You're not providing for your home, your family, the person that you promised to, to support and to cherish and to provide for all your life. But no, God is first. And you see, friends, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. God can change the heart to change your priorities around. This is where the missionaries come in and and martyrs that are willing to die for the faith, their priorities seem to the world inverted or skewed or perverted. But you see, you can't look through the eyes of the world. Then you got to judge by what God says in his word. And his word was very clear to the rich young ruler. Sell everything, give to the poor, take up your cross and follow me, and you will have riches in heaven. And he couldn't. His mind had not been touched by the love of God. Friends, why do we sacrifice? because we are committed to that thing. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's our work, whether it's our studies, whether it's possessions, we have a a, a feeling, a, a love towards it. Do you see that? And Jesus is saying, anything that you love more than me, then there needs to be change. You might be going to church, You might be paying 10% tithe and 20% offering, but Jesus didn't say to the rich young ruler, give away 50%. He said, sell everything. And Jesus today is saying, I need your whole heart. If you don't give me your whole heart and willing to surrender everything, then you're gonna come infinitely short of heaven. With man, it is impossible, but with God, it is possible only as you are willing to surrender to Him today. I want, you to sh- I want to show you in closing how the disciples respond in verse 28 of Mark chapter 10. Then Peter began to say unto Him, Lo, we have left all and followed Thee. He began to get confident. It's like, oh, oh yeah, surely I deserve a place in heaven, isn't it? Ah, oh, look, we've left everything for you, Jesus. What do we get? What do we get? You know, surely we'll get treasures in heaven, right? But what what else? What else? And look how Jesus responds. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mother and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life but many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first i want you to think about this because peter said oh we've left everything and followed you jesus what do we get and jesus gave this promise that echoes down to our day to day as well. He says, if you give everything, I will give you even a hundredfold now in this time. In this time, he wasn't referring to heaven, future eternal life. He says, I'll give you a hundred now in this time. Yes, you will do even greater things. You will be blessed even more beyond measure. Did Jesus give them a hundred times more? Well. If you're thinking about riches, then maybe you're disappointed. But I'm telling you, did Jesus work through the disciples more than a hundredfold? Yes, Peter, his epistles still echo down to us today. Peter on the day of Pentecost, baptized 3,000. Peter, when he would walk along the street, people revered him so much that they wanted to sit under his shadow, that even as his shadow touched them, they would be healed even more than what Jesus did when the woman touched his robe at the hem of his robe and she was healed but this his shadow healed them Peter did he receive a hundredfold more in this life yes he did but not from the perspective of what you are thinking today Jesus promise here in mark is not an investment plan God I gave you a thousand, please give me back a hundred thousand now. God, I gave you my little Myvi, my little Toyota Camry, now please give me a Hummer or a Mercedes Benz or whatever it is. No, we shouldn't be looking at it from that perspective. Why? Because if our heart has been touched and changed already by the love of Christ, Then, when we sacrifice everything and give to the poor and follow Jesus, the thought of wanting a hundred X in this time is not foremost in our mind, at least not from the monetary Value so friends, please don't go out there today and say, "Oh, the Bible says this. I didn't know. I didn't never sell saw, saw this a hundredfold." But I'm going to sell everything, and I'm going to give it to the church. I'm going to give it to the poor. I'm going to give it to my neighbors. I'm going to get rid of everything, and I'm just going to prove the, the 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 lesson of Jesus, his promise. I'm going to prove his promise true. Friends, many of you, if not all of you, are going to be sadly disappointed, but at the same time. I don't want you to sit there and do nothing as well. Sell everything. What is the one thing that you lack? What is that one thing that is still hindering you from giving your whole heart and life to Jesus? Too many of us were waiting for something so clear or just the events to just something to come up but friends why can't we just fabricate that event and say God I'm going to give this to start this project just do it take it as a sign from God that he wants you to start it you know friends what is the one thing and Jesus said at the end there many shall be first will be last and those last shall be first. Many who start out rich in this life, seemingly, seemingly the head of society, will become the very last at the end. And those that will last, they are the ones that become first. Friends, I want you to think about this. Maybe just the tinkling of the gold and the silver has caught our eye, too much that we've lost sight of Jesus Christ's solution is total surrender not starting with possessions but with our heart and our life to say God I give you everything please I open the door come in and take total control Friends, if you're willing to surrender everything, then God will show you what needs to go next. What possession it is, who you need to help, how you need to follow Christ. But until we get to that point, no matter if it's just a small little item in our life, or a house, or a car, no matter from small to big, it doesn't matter we will always struggle because the heart is not surrendered. And you will not want to sacrifice for somebody that you do not love. And so today, God, He's knocking on the door of your heart. He wants to come in. You know, it's rightly summarized the Ten Commandments, to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and might, and your neighbor as yourself. It's about love and whether Jesus has filled your heart with his love or not. And so if you're struggling today, or even if you don't know, it's not about just sitting there and doing nothing, friends. I want you to give Jesus a chance. I don't want you to look at the end as like, oh, I don't want to follow God because he's going to ask me to sacrifice everything now. No, friends, just get to know him and they'll be willing sacrifice. John John the 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 revelator on the Isle of Patmos exiled from everybody but there he gained the most amazing revelations even though Peter was crucified upside down he counted it a privilege the disciples they were willing to to give and to be spent for the sake of the gospel why because they had the love of Jesus burning in their hearts what is the one thing That is keeping you from following Jesus fully. What is that speck? What is that dot that has marred your perfect white garment that Jesus has given to you? That he's saying, my son, my daughter, I want you to give it up today. I pray that you be willing. Willing to give him a chance. To allow him to come into your heart. And guide and direct you fully come let's pray father in heaven i thank you lord that as you set your sight on this earth that you were committed to each and every one of us your love was unabated in fact it grew stronger when you came as a human being because you saw and understood fully firsthand our helpless condition and father here we are in the flesh and we struggle We struggle with even just following you wholeheartedly. I pray, Lord, that you would help us today to to surrender totally to you, to allow you to come in, to perform the work upon our heart that needs to be done. And then, Lord, let the results be what they may be, that you would guide us in how we live this life for you, in how we spend our money, in how we, we allow our possessions to be let go. Lord, I just pray that you would please help us and guide us to that end. Please be with my brothers and sisters here today. Help us, O Lord, to truly follow Jesus every step of the way. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.